This is episode number 60 of the High Impact Leaders Podcast, your shortcut to personal growth and career success. everybody. Welcome to High Impact Leaders. I'm your host, Doug Stannard of the Leaders Institute. And our goal is to share some success stories from high impact leaders who have been able to build strong teams while growing a successful business. This week, a couple of different things I want to kind of cover this week. Number one, with the recent uptick in coronavirus cases, I wanted to focus on a couple of timely topics. First, um, we took a couple of weeks off from recording recently because I actually ended up getting the coronavirus and had to take a couple of weeks off to recover. So for those of you who are kind of nervous about the virus, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell you my story and what happened to me over the last couple of weeks. And maybe that'll make uh, the the whole coronavirus thing for you a little less nerve wracking if you can kind of see what I went through. And then second, it's been kind of weird because for the first part of 2021, we at the, the Leaders Institute, my company, we have had a huge number of requests for in-person events and activities. And and in fact, throughout most of the last few months, um, when we would talk, you know, when our team leads, the the folks who were were, um, consulting with our customers and clients, when when we would talk about to to, um, these team leaders about their team activities, we'd ask them, okay, so we have both virtual and in-person activities, which are you most interested in? And for the last six months, I guess, somewhere around there anyway, we kept hearing responses like, oh, absolutely not virtual. You know, we we are totally virtual meeting out, you know, because after a year with the coronavirus and everything, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I'm we're so over Zoom and stuff like that. Right. And they would say, hey, we really want in-person meetings. Um, then as the uptick in cases has increased in the last man, really two months, I guess, um, those same people who were like, oh my God, no, absolutely no virtual have actually called us back saying, hey, what were those virtual options again? So I thought it might be a good idea to cover a few really simple and a lot of them free games that you can play with your team on Zoom uh, or uh, any other virtual platform, by the way, to, to kind of build teamwork. So, uh, and by the way, if you stick around to the end, this is probably going to be a fairly long session, but if you stick around to the end, I'll, I'll give you a few of my favorite Zoom games for larger groups. Um, the, these are the games that you're, you're going to pay a fee for, but they are 100% effective. And, and so they're well worth the small fee that you, you would pay for them. So, so by the way, as always, if you like the sessions, don't forget to subscribe to High Impact Leaders and, and make sure to rate the podcast. Leave me a review wherever you download the show. That helps a lot. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to kind of start off by sharing with you my experience with the virus. If you haven't yet had the coronavirus, then you know perhaps my story will kind of help you understand better what is going on. I was actually pretty surprised as I kind of went through the process as to you know some of the things that I observed and um, the things that I went through that were totally un. I mean, I, I just didn't anticipate them anyway. So, so just so you know. Um, I never got vaccinated and it's not anything political. I'm, I'm not anti-vaccine or anything like that. In fact, I just heard uh, on, on the radio that I think Joe Rogan just got, got coronavirus and I'm kind of in the Joe Rogan camp, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I basically, I, I wasn't in any of the risk groups 
you know, related to, you know, people that that were dying or having challenges with coronavirus. And, and so basically, at the very beginning, you know, throughout, especially 2020, I, I just did a lot of research, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't listening to, you know, newscasts, and I wasn't really listening to the CDC, I was actually doing research, reading, um, uh, uh, medical journals and stuff like that. I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of geeky that way, but, but um, you know, when I, when I did that research, the statistics that have been reported, just so you know, are, are they're a little contradictory. I've, I've seen, um, I've seen statistics about who is actually getting the coronavirus that range, you know, pretty dramatically. So rather than kind of quote, some of the trade journals that I've that I've kind of read, I'll I'll be a little vague and, and just just so you can kind of see where I was coming from, um, but because I, I, I just don't I don't want to misstate anything I don't want to I don't want to um, say anything that's that's incorrect so I'm going to be a little bit vague with my with my numbers and statistics and that kind of thing but many uh, but many let's you can pretty much say that many if not most people. Who come in contact with the coronavirus never actually have any symptoms. They call these asymptomatic people. Um, these are uh, and of the people that actually get symptoms. Now, by the way, we don't know exactly what percentage that is because we don't really know how many people have actually come in contact with the virus. That's why that's why that one is so. It's a weird number, right? So, but there there have been estimates that range from you know, as low as like 30% of people who come in contact with the coronavirus never or are asymptomatic, never have any symptoms. And I've seen it as high as like 95%. So, but I don't think there's any way to actually know without getting everybody in the world tested all at once, right? So it's, 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 that's a, a really vague number anyway, but let's just say that many people who come in contact with the coronavirus actually never have symptoms and and it might be as as much as most, right? It could be as many as fifty percent or higher, right? Um, now, of those people who actually get symptoms, most only experience mild cold-like symptoms, right? They're not even flu-like symptoms, or they're mild flu or or severe cold-type symptoms. So, and that's by the way, that's a most now. Now we're up into the uh, anywhere from sixty to ninety-five percent of the people who actually have symptoms most are are going to be um, are not going to experience a, a whole lot. And by the way, that's the camp that I fell into, by the way, I, I had mild symptoms. Now, there is a small percentage of those people that actually have symptoms during the coronavirus that actually have to be hospitalized. And so uh, it's it's a fairly small percentage, but when you're talking about how fast the coronavirus spreads, it can be a huge number. But percentage-wise, in the population, it's still pretty small. And then of the people that have to be hospitalized, only a tiny fraction of those people actually end up dying from the virus. And and by the way, I'm not saying that the virus isn't dangerous. That's not what I'm saying at all, because you can just see by the number of fatalities that it most certainly is a dangerous virus. However, a huge percentage of the people who have died from coronavirus or with coronavirus have had multiple comorbidities, sometimes as many as three or four different comorbidities, really serious things that, that are going on uh, in, their, in their lives or in their health that um, just where the coronavirus just kind of sped up something that was, that was inevitable anyway. So, since I didn't have any of those comorbidities, I'm, I'm a fairly healthy guy. My weight is well below 
the average person of my age, statistically, I really wasn't at risk. So I just never got the vaccine. So that was my mentality anyway, for, for not getting the vaccine. It, it really had, it had nothing more than that. I just kind of looked at the numbers. I looked at the st statistics. I looked in to see who was at risk. I wasn't in that. So, you know, I, I wasn't really that worried about, about the virus. Well, about three weeks ago, I returned from a trip and a couple of days later, I got a nagging cough. It was a really dry cough. Um, and I, 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 did what, you know, I suspect a lot of people kind of do at that point. I went to the COVID-19 websites. I went to the CDC and all kinds of different websites and everything. And I looked at the symptoms and there were about a dozen listed. Um, coughing was one of the symptoms, but then again, coughing is also a symptom of just about every virus, um, bacteria, cold, allergy, right? So, um, so basically what I was looking for was I was looking for things that are kind of unique to, to COVID-19. What were those things? And the main symptoms that were listed on the websites were things like trouble breathing, fatigue, uh, loss of smell, loss of taste. Those are pretty unique. You don't get those with a lot of other, with a lot of other things that where, where you're coughing anyway. And I didn't have any of those symptoms. You know, I didn't have any of those, so I I thought I was pretty safe. Although I was still being cautious, you know, I was I was I stayed away from other people as much as I could, especially anyone who I thought might be in one of those you know more risky situations. And after a couple of days, the cough went away, so I assumed I was you know it was just allergies, you know, since there had been a rainstorm that came through the DFW area where I'm at, and and then um, so I, I just assumed it was was allergies, and you know, kind of to collect some sepical and stuff like that, but you know, nothing really big. And, and, and again, still being cautious. So just in case, but since I never experienced any, I wasn't experiencing any of those other symptoms of, of COVID wasn't really worried about it. And I don't think anybody around me was, was really worried at that point, either family and, and that kind of thing. Um, a couple of days later though, after I thought I had recovered, all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, um, I, I got that. I got. Um, I was experiencing fatigue. Um, the cough came back, and this time, instead of being a, a dry cough, it was more of a kind of a. You know, I don't want to be gross or anything. It was kind of more like a wet cough. You know, like a deeper cough kind of thing. Um, and I even got a little dizzy and confused once, you know, going to the bathroom and, and, um, you know, and, and so I, at that point, I'm like, okay, now I've got some of the symptoms. I'm going to go get tested, went tested, went and got tested that afternoon, you know, a couple hours after I started feeling some of these symptoms and the test came back positive. So, um, even though up to that time, by the way, I knew I, you know, I, I mean, especially when I started feeling those other symptoms, I kind of knew I probably had COVID. Um, but when the test came back positive, there was a little bit more tension and nervousness that hit me all the same, right? I, I asked my doctor what the treatment was. And that was when, you know, kind of the eye-opening type things started to happen to be related to to COVID because she basically said, you know, over-the-counter medicines and vitamins were pretty much the best course of action. I did, she did prescribe me with some type of either antibiotic or antibody of some type um, that I think was ZPAC or something like that. But, but other than that, it was basically, you know, um, I was kind of confused because up until that point, I'm watching the news every once in a while and I'm, I'm told that COVID is kind of a death sentence, you know, and for the all last year, I've been hearing that. And the treatment is like vitamin C, vitamin D and zinc and a Z-pack. So that seemed really odd, but 
that I mean, that's what I use to treat the virus, right? So basically, I got some vitamin C, I got some vitamin D, I got some zinc. The doctor prescribed me with the Z-pack, and you know, that's that's basically you know kind of what I did to to treat the symptoms. So by that time, though, I had been in close proximity to you know my whole family, my wife, my daughter, my my son. And um, that, so that day we all went into quarantine um, and, and I, I would say either later that day or maybe the next day, uh, my wife and son started coughing. And then, uh, so the, um, but the day after the two of them started coughing, my son, who's 14, he had absolutely no symptoms. So he, he coughed for like four hours and he was done. Right. And so the, the rest of us were a little kind of miserable for a little bit longer, but, um, but he stayed in quarantine for another 10 days and he was able to go back to school, you know, and, and he never tested positive at all for the, for the virus. Um, my daughter, who's 20, um, she actually had some of the more severe symptoms. She actually started throwing up. She was the only person in the, in the family that, that threw up. Um, but hers only lasted like a day or two. And she was back, you know, a little tired, but other than that, I mean, her, her so her, her symptoms lasted about a day and a half longer than my son's did. And even though my wife started coughing a couple of days after I did, her symptoms lasted a few days less than, than mine did. So all of us had really minor kind of symptoms. I think mine were probably the worst. And, and really the first two days after I tested positive, um, they, they were kind of the worst days for me. I, I, I was exhausted. I slept most of those days. I only had a slight fever for maybe a couple of days, though. I, I never lost my smell, never lost taste. Um, however, a couple of days in, I started getting this film on my mouth that caused my mouth to be dry and, and, you know, but basically, you know, just drinking, having a glass of water by my bedside and, and grapes helped a lot, you know, I needed, you know, a bunch of grapes, you know, over an afternoon or something like that. And that, that relieved, um, that eased those symptoms. So uh, even though it was, you know, kind of wasn't comfortable, it wasn't fun. I was able to, to relieve those symptoms pretty easily. But out of all the stuff that happened to me during the quarantine, that, by the way, that was really the most uncomfortable was the dry mouth, that kind of thing. And just so you know, about 25 years or so ago, I got the flu and it was an absolutely horrible experience. I, I mean, I hurt everywhere. I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't really move. And it seemed to last for a month, but I think it was actually less than a week that, that I was, I was sick. But um, I, I mean, I, if I put the flu on a scale of one to 10, if I put that at a, at a 10, I'd put my symptoms with COVID-19 at maybe a four, you know, obviously wasn't comfortable, but you know, and, and I wouldn't want to do it again by any means, but the pain and uncomfortableness, it really wasn't anywhere close to what I experienced with the flu. So now, by the way, um, I and my whole family have an immunity to the disease now, at least temporarily. We don't know how long it's going to last, but, you know, we're, we're kind of immune. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I'm kind of telling my friends, I am hey, bulletproof now, man. I'm, I'm, I'm eating stuff off the floor now. All kinds of stuff, right? So as far as we know, by the way, um, the, uh, the virus never spread outside of our, our family. So, um, we were under quarantine the whole time. None of us came around anyone until we were until, I, I mean, almost a week without symptoms or in some cases longer than a week, um, you know, like for my son and that kind of thing. So for, for so, um, just so you guys know, I mean, we're all counted in the total cases of COVID-19, but since we survived and we're now immune, we don't get counted in any official numbers for that. 
You know, so uh, the the CDC doesn't put out any numbers as to who's immune or who's been cured of COVID nineteen. They just kind of keep that that uptick in number of cases, right? So if you think about it, the the higher that the number of cases get without deaths involved, that's good for everybody. And so my point is, is that COVID nineteen, it's not fun, right? And it is deadly with comorbidities. It, and, and if you do have any of those comorbidities, I totally recommend that you get the vaccine. However, based on my experience, I don't see any reason to shut down companies or avoid doing normal day-to-day activities. I mean, the more cases who recover, the better the whole world becomes, right? Now, with all that being said, let's focus on something a little bit more positive for the for the, the remainder of the session. Um, if you're nervous about getting your team together in person, if they're if 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 you know you might be thinking, hey, is there a way to have some fun on Zoom? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. And here are a few ways that you can do it. Hey, so the title of this session is Fun Games to Play on Zoom with Coworkers to Build Teamwork. So if you're looking for some fun games to play on your next Zoom meeting uh, with your coworkers, if you want to build more team culture, then look no further. Here are some of the the absolute best virtual games, and we're going to include both free games that any of you can kind of do for no cost whatsoever. And then we'll, we'll, I'll also give you some of my favorite um, fee-based games as well that you can play with your, your virtual group. Um, Zoom, by the way, is currently claiming to have over 300 million daily users. Google Meet and Microsoft Teams each claim about 100 million daily users. So that's about, that means that each day, as many as a half a billion people are still meeting virtually. And unfortunately, most of these virtual meetings are really, 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 really boring. They stink, right? So we want to change that. So back when, just so you guys know, back when COVID first hit in 2020, the virus scared many, many, many team members. You know, um, they were, you know, a lot of us were nervous about, about um, our, our business futures and, and morale kind of plummeted worldwide. And as many teams, many of the teams that we're talking about here, they had to learn on the fly how to do their normal business via a virtual format like Zoom or Teams or 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 Google and, um, and, and by a video call. Well, I mean, I'd like to say that our team at the Leaders Institute was way in front of the crowd at attempting you know, to, to get to a new normal. And I like to say that, but I'm, I'm, we had a couple, just, I mean, I'd like to say that because we, have had, we had a couple of really distinct advantages. You know, first our company had a virtual, we were a virtual company before we actually had a corporate office. So for the first 15 years of our existence, we were entirely virtual. So when COVID hit, we already had a lot of the structure in place to perform well virtually. So that, that helped. And the other advantage that we had was that we have a whole team of professional speakers who perform well in virtual meetings, have done so for years. So again, we had a, a great advantage there. However, the changes that came about with the COVID pandemic, they've never been seen before. You know, so even though we had a couple of advantages, we still had a tough time adapting just like everybody else did. Um, but there were a couple of things that that if you understand these things before you try to 
just insert some kind of fun game into your into your virtual meeting. It really helps a lot. So before you decide on on a fun game, understand the basics about virtual meetings. So let me kind of just give you a, a five minute five minute overview as to some of the basics about virtual meetings. The first thing that you really have to understand is that most people seem see Zoom meetings or virtual meetings as being a one way monologue from the organizer to the group. And because of this, many will shut up, they shut off their microphones and videos, they'll turn off their videos and that kind of thing. So a simple heads up ahead of time will help your team be more willing to participate in virtual meetings. So you want to realize that most people hate virtual meetings. They would prefer not to participate. And so human nature is what it is. You know, most people hate meetings just in general, and more people hate virtual meetings. So organizing a great game, it, it, it's a fun way to get your team to kind of want to participate in the meeting. So this only works, though, if you choose a simple game that is neither cheesy nor juvenile. If either of those things are there, then people are going to resist it. So you, you just adding something fun to the meeting may actually get you a negative result. You know, like, for instance, one of the games that that I've seen shared all over the Internet is a, a virtual scavenger hunt at home. And I'm sure there are a few really effective and talented speakers on Zoom who could pull a game like that off. I personally am not one of them, right? I think of myself as being a pretty good speaker, but if I tried to get my entire team to do a home scavenger hunt, I think it would come off really cheesy. Um, you know, so, uh, because if you think about it, what, what would be the actual purpose of the hunt? You know, go around your house and find something that starts with a P you know, or whatever, right? So how, how would you tie that scavenger hunt into the agenda of the rest of your meeting, right? So it might be fun, but it, it would just add an odd addition that doesn't really fit well. So anytime your team members feel uncomfortable participating, you're going to, you have the, it could be that you have the opposite effect of building teamwork. You may actually build resistance to attending other virtual meetings. So you want to really stay away from the cheesy stuff, you want know, the, the the odd stuff. Alternatively, alternatively, though, let's say that you're onboarding new team members and you want to introduce them to your current team. Well, any type of getting to know you type game will actually work really well. It, it fits the purpose of the meeting, right? The game actually fits what's going on in the rest of the, of the meeting. And as long as it's fun and interesting, then the people are going to appreciate it. So um, uh, one of the things that we always suggest people do, by the way, is ask your team to show up to the virtual meeting with your microphone and camera on. I think it's a big mistake that I think I see folks make, especially the bigger that a meeting gets, the more people that you invite, the more likely the folks who organize it are to say, hey, come with your microphones off and your cameras off you know, well, it's not going to be that interactive. So it's better if you ask your team to show up to the meeting with their microphone and camera on, you know, quite often just a simple warning can get your group to be more interactive. So um, since most people attend Zoom meetings with their cameras and videos off anyway, um, they're often going to assume that that's the norm norm, and it's and it's okay. But if you warn them ahead of time, they, if you don't warn them ahead of time, then they may be uncomfortable turning their cameras on. You know, their home office may be messy, or they might have a pet that craves attention. You know, um, so here's a here's a message that we tend to use, and it works really well. So basically, you can just kind of put your name if you're the person who's invited, and you can say, you know, Doug has invited you to an interactive virtual team building activity. 
Our main goal is to have a little fun and build solid teamwork. To participate, you will get the best results by logging in on a computer or laptop versus mobile devices. Also, since the activity is interactive, you'll need to turn on your camera and microphone to participate. See you there. You know, so something really simple, a simple heads up like that will help your virtual team, the game anyway, start off on, on the right foot. Um, the other thing that we suggest people do is use breakout rooms to get a higher, a higher quality of interaction. So um, like for instance, when Zoom added breakout rooms to their platform, it was a game changer in online meetings. I mean, this, this really simple technology improvement has it's been a godsend for virtual games, especially. So when you play a fun game virtually, the bigger the group is, the less likely anyone will actually participate. You know, for instance, let's say that you have a hundred people on a, on a video chat platform of some type and you decide to play a trivia game with, with large groups like this without breakout rooms, you're really going to have limited options. You, I mean, you can ask a question and wait for responses in chat, but with 100 people competing, though, you know, keeping score is going to be really challenging. And um, however, with breakout rooms, you could actually create teams of six to eight people, and then each group could have the same 10 trivia questions. You could send all the teams to a private room with each, uh, for, with, with each other, and then teams can choose a team leader to do a screen share and, and answer the trivia questions as a, as a group. And then once the teams complete all 10 questions, have them quickly leave their breakout room to see who won. You know, the first team to complete the challenges will return to the main session and, would, and only the organizer is going to be there, right? So the second team will arrive shortly after the first and so on and so on until all the teams have completed the challenge. So depending on the culture of your team, you know, the groups may kind of razz the second place and the third place team as they arrive, you know, hey, you guys, okay, we're a close second. We've only been finished for about eh, 12 minutes, you know? So, um, I mean, you can you can really create, um, um, you, can, you can get really creative using the breakout rooms, by the way, as a, as a way to increase discussion, um, share ideas, and, and really just get team members to interact better. So I tell you what, since we've been going along, let me kind of end the session right here. And then next week, I'm going to get into the, the fun games, the team games. So I know we've kind of talked about that would be a major focus of this one. But um, since, since we've been going a little long here, let's kind of break it up and we'll cover the, the team games. That way I'll give you um, three really fun team games that you can use next week that are free. And I'll, I'll give you another three that you can pay a small fee for, but they're going to get you a really, really, really good result. So, so we'll see you next week on High Impact Leaders. Bye, y'all.